Well, good morning, Restore. Um, happy winter slash spring slash whatever it is in Houston right now. Uh, I got up this morning and it was very cold and then we couldn't get our trailer out of the lot, which made it even colder. So it's been kind of a cold morning. But uh, if you see me limping, it's because I, I bent down to try and fix a lock. Uh, and I'm at that age now where I injure myself sometimes just by sleeping. Uh, so don't be concerned, it's not a big deal. But uh, welcome, if you're new with us this morning, my name is Justin, I am one of the pastors here. Uh, and we are in, I'm buzzing again, I'm gonna move back this way, not buzzing, I, I haven't had anything to drink, that's not what I meant. <laughs> the, the speakers are buzzing. Um, okay, there we go, still. They weren't doing this earlier, I don't know, they wait sometimes. Uh, so if you're, if you're new with us this morning, uh, we are in the middle of a series uh, on the book of Ruth. Now, most of us have, maybe we're like semi-familiar with the book. Uh, it's, it's a story that is written uh, about a family. So, so most of your Old Testament books, and your Old Testament was written before Jesus, before the time of Jesus, most of your Old Testament books are about kind of big things, like nations and armies and kings. But the book of Ruth, which is kind of nestled right in the middle of your, uh, right kind of towards the beginning of your Old Testament, is about a family. Uh, in particular, it's about, it's about uh, the story of a woman named Ruth. And so what we're going to do as we move through this series this morning uh, is we're going to take a look at Ruth. I'm still, I don't know why, I think it's that one, isn't it? Maybe I'll move back a little bit more. I'm sorry, y'all. Is that better? There we go. Uh, I think it stopped. Okay, so um, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Ruth, the story of Ruth, uh, and, and we're going to be um, asking a couple questions this morning. Okay, so, so um, one of the questions I want us to start asking is, is this. Um, have you, thank you, Joe, uh, have you, like as you look at the book, where is God? Okay, so it, it's the first book kind of in your Old Testament where God is not very visible. He's not scene. Like he's, he's, he's not, like there's no, like he doesn't come down and say like, I want you to go here and do this. Like he doesn't come down like with Abraham and say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you the father of a, of a great nation and I'm going to bless you. Like he's, he's relatively, I don't want to say out of the picture. That's not what I'm implying or insinuating, but us as readers, as we read the, the book, I want us to kind of ask the question, where is he? And the reason that I want us to ask the question, where is he, is because there's going to be a word that shows up in the book. We've been talking about this word. The word is hesed. It's a Hebrew word that means sort of steadfast love uh, or relentless grace. It's, it's actually very difficult to translate into, each, into English, uh, but it also has a, uh, like a, a sense of loyalty to the word. Right, so you could translate it like loyal love. Steadfast love is sometimes how your Bible translates it. Unfailing love. Relentless grace. And this word hesed is the word that God uses to describe himself. So when, when he meets with Moses and gives him the Ten Commandments, and then the people start acting rebelliously. There's a moment in which God sort of disclosed, when Moses is like, hey, I want to see you. I want to know your face. Like, I want to see you and who you are. God says, the, one of the first things he says is, I am a God of hesed, of unfailing love, of loyal love. And the reason that I, I want, I'm pointing this out is because what we're going to begin to see is that even though God's not really mentioned in the book a whole lot, 
the words that are used, <laughs> excuse me, to describe God are used to describe Ruth. The word that God himself uses to describe himself is used to describe the actions of Ruth, which begins to, like, I want it to begin to stir in our mind or create in our mind, is God's abundant provision sometimes through human action, right? Like, is it through Ruth at which God is moving and redeeming in this story? Okay, so um, I'm going to fly through a couple of things very quickly. Uh, if, if you want more, there, this is the third part of the series. Uh, and so would recommend, if, if this especially is your first Sunday, um, catch those other two series. They're on Spotify, uh, iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook. Not because I had like super profound things to say, um, but that'll help kind of set the story up. We've been moving uh, in a certain direction, and we're going to finish next week on, on redemption and the story. Uh, and so next week is going to be like, if you have been tolerating my sermons for the last three weeks, like next week will be the one you definitely don't want to miss because um, we're building towards something. Uh, so I'm going to fly through these really quickly here, um, but I'm, I'm going to show you just the family tree here. Um, this is Ruth's family tree. This is, these are the characters of the story. Uh, and it, the story will open with uh, Elimelech, whose name literally means my God is king, who marries Naomi, whose name literally means pleasant. We've talked about this a little bit, and what we're going to find as the story goes on is that my God is king, my God is in control, and pleasant. Their lives end up looking very differently than they had ever anticipated. Uh, we can go to the next slide there, Nick. Uh, so Elimelech uh, will have two children, Kilion and Malon. Their names mean frail and sickly. Uh, and Elimelech, my God is king, will die, along with his two sons, leaving Naomi a widow and having lost her children. This will leave uh, the, the Killian and Malin marry uh, two women, Orpah and Ruth. Uh, and, and what we'll see is as the story unfolds. So I'm actually going to read the story. So this is, we're doing a little bit of a different kind of sermon format if this is your first Sunday. Um, I know usually like we pick a text and then I break it down sometimes way too confusing and complicated and ramble and I forgive me for that like I'm sorry uh, but like today what we're going to do is actually like I'm going to try and set the story up and then I'm going to let the text the story kind of tell itself to you guys right so like think of it as like story time. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is try to kind of emphasize a few things, like the words that are used and some of the context to help us, uh, because the story of Ruth is written uh, 3,000 years ago, 6,000 miles away from here in the ancient Near East. And so, like, it's very easy sometimes for us to miss some of the things that are happening in the story. Okay, so, so uh, one of the things that will happen uh, that's kind of easy to miss is, is Naomi. As the story unfolds, she will change her name to Bitter. She'll say, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And she comes to this conclusion. I, 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 like, I was married to my God as king. Like I started this with this assumption or this belief that like my God was in control, which is how I think most of us operate in life. Now, again, I'm, I'm not saying things are true or not true here, by the way. I'm trying to, like, I want us to enter into the experience of Naomi here, like what, what the story is showing is my God was in control, 
But really, my life has turned out completely differently as if he wasn't. Right? And, so, and so she kind of asked this question, like, I know like, he, he's in control, and so everything that's happening must be according to his will, but like, I haven't heard from him. Like, I don't, like, so I, like, I keep asking, I don't hear anything, so my only conclusion is he must have it out for me for my life to have worked out like this. And so Naomi will change her name to Mara. Uh, and, and I think this is actually, I think at one point or another, we actually all find ourselves like Mara, Naomi. Uh, so one of the things that I, I heard pretty regularly, especially when I was starting out, was like, oh, I don't know, we kind of grew up in church, but then we fell out, and then we had some kids, and kind of felt like, I, it's time to go back to church. And, and I hear, I hear what, what we're kind of saying in that, or at least what I hear sometimes, and, and when we say that is, I kind of want it to be more true for my kids than I found it for me. Right, like as soon as I got old and I kind of saw the weight of the world and saw the weight of suffering and saw the, like, just kind of saw, like, I don't know, like I grew up singing songs, Jesus loves me, this I know, but then as I kind of got older, that started to get cold and it started to conflict with some of my experiences and some of the weight of just my life. Right, and as, as we're in a season of Lent, this is one of the things that Lent encourages us to do is examine our just frailness, just how out of control our lives really are to us. So as, as Westerners, particularly as Americans, it's deeply ingrained in our culture. I can, like, I can be anything I want to be. I can become anything I want to do. Like become, I can accomplish anything I want to accomplish. This is deep, and I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm not like just dumping on American culture. But what I am saying is there's something deeply ingrained in our culture that says we're in control of our lives. And Naomi is at this place. She's like, I, nothing in my life has, has gone the direction that I thought it would. And there's bitterness there. And there's resentment. There's anger and confusion. God must have it out for me. And so the question that, we, that Ruth is going to ask is, like, what happens in this moment? How does Naomi become redeemed? Like, how, how does, like, she, like, what happens to the bitterness and the, and the hurt and the pain that she's holding and the disillusionment? Does someone show up and be like, here, let me, like, let's, let's walk you through why this isn't true. Like, give me a bunch of answers. Theologically, I can explain this with suffering, right? And the, the reality is, like, Christians have been trying to answer this question for centuries. Uh, we all think we've kind of got an idea of what that, like, how we deal with suffering and who, when God is good and how that works out. Um, but I think most of us, when, when we actually experience life, when things hit the fan, we find tension with our simple explanations. And that's what the book is kind of doing here, is my God is king, Elimelech is gone. He's no longer in the picture. The thing that we thought kind of influenced this has now left the picture. And so Mara slash Naomi is left kind of asking the question, like, what do I do? Like, we're asking the question, like, how does she get rescued from this? How does she become redeemed by this? Uh, we can go to that next slide, uh, Nick. And this is where uh, we see Hesed. Right, so this is where Ruth comes into the picture. Orpah goes back to her home. Ruth, though, she tells Naomi, uh, I will go wherever you go. And this hesed uh, that your translators, and I, right, we try not to be translator snobs around here, so I'm going to be hypocritical for just a second and be a translator snob. But like your, your translation will use the word, will translate that word hesed as kindness. 
uh, because your translators get a little shy with that. They're like, wait, this is a word that describes God. This is a word that God uses to describe his own character. Ruth is showing hesed, but like, can somebody really act with the character of God? Like, so they kind of soften it and they use the word kindness, which is too soft. Right? I have a, I have a three-year-old daughter. Like, she's learning to be kind. I'm not saying kindness is bad. Like, I'm, don't hear me say that, but like, it's not what Ruth is doing. Her class is learning to be kind right now. They have three rules. Don't steal your neighbor's food, share, uh, and don't toot on anybody. I'm not, I, don't, I'm, I get the first two. I also would really like to know which kid made that third rule necessary. But like, that's what she tells us at school. Like, those are the three rules for being kind as Miss Rachel teaches them how to be kind. Uh, this is different than the, what, what Ruth is doing. There is this sort of relentless grace that she pursues Naomi with. So the story will tell us that Ruth is a Moabite. Okay, this is, it'll, it'll, the story will tell us this multiple times. So that may not mean anything to us, um, but the story is drawing something out here. So the Moabites uh, were like God's people, like an ancient people group, uh, but they were started, uh, basically essentially what happened is one of Lot, who was a relative of Abraham, uh, flees from Sodom and Gomorrah with his two daughters. They end up in the wilderness. The two daughters, and again, our Bibles are not shy, so I'm just like, it's in there, you can read it, but the two daughters decide, like, we have no heirs, there's nobody, there's, like, there's no men around, so let's get our dad drunk and start a family that way. Uh, and so Moabite, Moab means like seed of my father or from my father or like my, my father and my grandfather are the same person kind of thing. And so the story will open up with uh, Moabite, with Ruth, who's this Moabite woman. And so what happens is the Moabite people, starting from kind of this, this background, this incestuous background, uh, end up opposing God's people at several points. And so God tells the people that they are cursed people. You're not to let them into the assembly for 10 generations. Don't let them in among you. At one point, the Moabites actually try to stump God's own people by like, com- like converting one of their own prophets to like do like damage to them. And so God says, you are not to trust the Moabites. You're not to go near the Moabites. Like they are to be expelled from the assembly of God's people. And then all of a sudden we read Ruth, who's a Moabite, acting more like God than anyone else in the story. Right? And, and so, and we can talk more about this, like, off, off, off the stage. Like if, but, like, here's, here's what I want to point out here, is sometimes we try to principalize God's statements. And when we do that, I think we actually misunderstand what God's saying. Uh, and, and when we principalize God's statement, uh, what, what we, we kind of see here is that God takes care of individuals in ways that, like, principles can't always work with. Right, so, so American Christianity in particular uh, is, pretty, is pretty wrapped up in, like, these are the things we stand for, right? This is, the, this is my politics. This is where I stand as a Christian. There's these principles, right? Uh, one of the things that I always kind of cringe at is when people are like, these are Christian values, no, what you've done is you've principalized, and what happens is the second that happens, you're going to start, you're going to miss the way that which God cares for and sees and works with individuals. You can't take a, something out of the Old Testament like this and blanket like it applies to everything and every situation and all person at all time. And so the, the reader's challenging this for us. So when we see that Ruth clings, we'll read in the story that Ruth clings to Naomi. 
This clinging to Naomi, again, is like part of what Hesed is. It's this where you go, I go, like I will offer all. Like, And Naomi will tell her, don't go with me. It's not good for you to be with me. Go back to your people. And Ruth says, I'm going to go where you go. There's this sort of self-emptying, like undying loyalty that Ruth expresses to Naomi that I want us to see that is more than her just being really nice. As we read through the story, what we're going to see is that Ruth will basically, as she, as she says this to Naomi, she's signing up for a life as an immigrant in a foreign country where her reputation, like for her family, where like her lineage, like people will look down on, will shame her for, will despise her for. You'll hear some of the characters in the story concerned about her being harassed as she works in some of the fields. You can imagine some of the harassment that she would be facing. Hey, we know what you Moabite women are all about. Like, we know where you come from. And so the character of Ruth, what we're going to begin to see is that even though all of God's people, the book will tell us that this book opens up in the time of the judges, uh, we're not going to go into all of that, but the time, what that tells us is the judges were a very dark time in God's people's history. They kept pushing uh, God out. They kept rebelling against him. At one point, Judges tells us everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, and Judges ends uh, literally with someone in a vulnerable position being dismembered and then sent to different tribes in Israel, like literally cut to pieces. And so while God's people are dismembering and hack, like literally hacking each other up, we find Ruth the Moabite reflecting the Hesed in the character of God. And so this, this part of the story, uh, Ruth is essentially saying, like, when, I, when I'm going with you, it's not like, he was like, well, I don't know, we're move, let's move to California. Like, there's not, like, like, there's not social systems in place. Like, she's signing up for a life as an immigrant. She's signing up for a life as, like, filled with people, like, harassing her and shaming her, like, having little respect in her culture. And we begin to see the willingness that Ruth has at which to love, this like steadfast, loyal, relentless grace. So, so there's going to be a very interesting episode that I want to just touch on here very quickly. Uh, this, is, this is going to be an episode where the, the, the Ruth and Boaz will meet on the threshing floor, and there's going to be some like kind of weird things going on. You're like, what is happening? Uh, there's going to be a moment where basically Naomi tells Ruth, hey, uh, so we can go to the next slide. Um, she's going to find a man named Boaz who's going to be listed in the story as a redeemer. Okay, so, so what does that mean? Uh, so in, in, in Ruth's culture, uh, if, you were, if you owned land, right? So if you were, if you were a patriarch and you owned land uh, and say you died, like Elimelech has died, uh, your brother then would essentially marry your wife. Uh, and when they had children, those children would basically be as your brother's kids, not yours. And this was to sort of protect family lineage, right? Land was equity then. So this, this, is, this is one of the principles that God would sort of instate to ensure like, that, 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 that poverty was at least, like there was checks and balances, right? Because, because if you're Naomi now, you have no, like she has land, we read she has land, but it's basically untapped equity. And they need somebody that can kind of open that access for her. So to work the land, to like make it prosperous, right? Now Naomi just has it, it's sitting there. And so what they need is a redeemer. Ruth needs to marry a relative of Elimelech, and that's who Boaz is. 
And so, so there's going to be this, this weird kind of moment in the story where, Ruth is, where Naomi is going to tell Ruth, hey, uh, go proposition him. And so there's all kind of confusion on what Naomi's actually asking Ruth to do there, and it plays out on the threshing floor. And the reason I want to touch on this just quickly here is because this is not sexual. Okay, so, so um, it, like, it, sometimes it gets translated that way, particularly uh, interpreted this way, particularly if those of you who grew up in purity culture ever heard this story, it kind of gets like twisted into this way of like, oh, look, like Ruth's propositioning Boaz, but he's like, but I'm a married character, like not until we're married. And like, it becomes this like purity story where somehow like, like, it's, just, all, like it's just a terrible interpretation of the text. Because the truth is that Ruth will come to Boaz and she'll say, I'm your servant. Again, the translators didn't quite know what to do with that word. It's, it's, it could imply like sexuality, like it could be kind of translated like concubine, but it can also be translated kind of like, I'm one of your house. I belong to you, like we belong to you. And so Ruth will go and basically what she will do is she says, I am a woman of Hesed. I am a woman of loyalty and character and faithfulness, like I've been good to Naomi, and she will give Boaz a chance to do the same. So you now show Hesed is what she will demand of Boaz. She will demand this of her, of him. And why I want to, why I want to point that out is, as, we, we, as we wrestle with this idea that God provides through humans, like provides through each of us, like we often become the presence of God towards one another, as Ruth is in the story towards Naomi, as they're all working towards redemption, which we'll look at next week, will be the final piece of the story. What we see is that Ruth, um, through her hesed, begins to beget more hesed begins to stir on and encourage like more hesed from the other characters. And this is what Boaz will say. Like, you are a woman of character. I have seen how you have loved Naomi. Like, let me do the same. And so when he, like when she propositions him over this, uh, he responds with this like, thank you for giving me this opportunity. Okay, um, so one of the things that I do hear from you guys sometimes is, hey, we, we talk a whole lot about like being a church of love and giving of ourselves and loving other people, but what happens when I need it? What happens when I'm the one that needs love? <clears throat> and I know part of that's just my own, like, my, like I, I'm terrible at asking for help. And, and so inevitably, like, that does affect the church in, in different ways. Like, like, I'm not shaming any of you guys or like, y'all, y'all are terrible at it because I'm terrible at it. Like, it makes sense. <laughs> but, but part of grace is not just the giving, it's also the receiving. Grace itself is an act of creation. God, when he creates the world, this is grace. It's hesed. It's goodness. And part of the way that we actually can love one another is by actually like allowing ourselves to be loved. And this is hard for a lot of us. This is hard. Like, we want to, like, this bucks against our, our sense of independence. This bucks, like, if I'm vulnerable here, if I have this need, will it, like, what happens if it's not, like, there's all kinds of questions that we have. And so, like, we, true, like, we buck, we hold on to our independence. But what, what, what Ruth encourages us to see is that Hesed, being a church of Hesed, is, this, is a church where we both give and receive Hesed from one another. And sometimes, for many of us, like that second piece is the harder piece. 
Or like we can get real, like I, I, I can do this, I can fit this, I can meet this need, right? And then like learning to actually receive that uh, is difficult, right? And there's all kinds of things you've got to work out. But this is the thing is that this requires you to work it out with each other. It requires us to work it out as a church, this giving and receiving of love. And so when Ruth gives Boaz this opportunity to live into Hesed, she, he says, thank you. Like there's this, like you are living this way. Now I get a chance to do this too. This grace and this hesed that starts with Ruth begins to spread. One last little bit about this is like there's a bunch of this, like you got to marry a man on a kind of language. Um, Like let's, I want to fit into the text and the culture for just a second. Um, there, like, there are zero opportunities in this culture and in this way for women to work the land to to basically access their own equity. And so, with Naomi's like, "Hey, you got to find a man." Uh, she's she's playing out like she's working through their system and their culture to provide for Ruth. Likewise, Boaz, uh, when Ruth is, is, trim, is, is gleaning in, in Boaz's field, this means that Boaz is a farmer, so he has wheat in field, and, and, and she comes along, and she starts picking up the things that people are left behind, and Boaz sees this, and he'll exclaim, who's that person? And I mentioned this last week, he's not noticing uh, how beautiful she is. Okay, there are lots of places in your Bible where that happens, like two characters see each other, and they're like, and they were so beautiful, and they got wrapped up in the, like, he's noticing her character. Who is this woman working so hard in my field to pick up the pieces of grain that have been dropped behind? He's noticing her. And then he'll say, let's leave extra for her. And so we can kind of miss that. Like, I'd always read that as like, well, that's kind of rude. Like, why don't you just like pick it up for her and like put it in a bag? It's like, it makes it sound like, oh, look, she's picking up the scraps off the table. Let's knock over a plate and let her have more. Um, but, but in their culture, what they did is they were required to actually leave wheat in the field, like with their fields, whatever crop they were growing, for immigrants and other people uh, who were marginalized in their society to glean after them. And so when Boaz says, let's leave her more, here's what he's actually saying. is like, here's, this is the taxes we've been required to pay. Let's pay more taxes. Like, let's offer more than we're required to. Because he begins to see through Ruth and her character and her hesed, and he gets and he gets excited, inspired, like he sees this and begins to try and emulate it. Uh, the, the last thing I'll, I'll point out, and then we'll read the text and be done for today, uh, is that is that uh, she uh, when Naomi tells Ruth to go to the proposition Boaz. Boaz, he'll she'll startle him. There'll be this like he'll be like, "Who are you?" There's, there's some wordplay going on. And as she meets with Boaz, and as this like redemption between their two stories begin to take shape, when Ruth comes back to Naomi, she'll ask the same question, who are you? Your translators will translate it like, what happened there? Or how did you fare? She's not interested in necessarily what happened. What she wants to know is who are you now that redemption is beginning to take place? How have you begun? Like, who are you there's another wordplay that will begin to take place. Is we'll see that Naomi went to Bethlehem, but there was a famine in Bethlehem, or she lived in Bethlehem before. Bethlehem means house of bread. So there's some irony there of like, I live in the house of bread, but there's no bread. And so the family travels to Moabite and then comes back. 
But Ruth, but Naomi will say, like, the hand of God is against me. I went away looking for something, and I've come back empty-handed. What we'll find through the Hesed of Ruth that inspires the Hesed of Boaz is when Ruth then reports back to Naomi, he gives her an abundance of grain to take home which will begin to evoke in us some curiosity. Some of these characters in the story that saw themselves beyond redemption, locked in their own disillusionment and pain forever, are beginning to show signs of redemption. Who are you, Ruth? I have been redeemed by Boaz. And he's brought, like I've brought back my hands full, even though we started this story coming away empty. And so, like I said, we're building up to this, this theme of redemption, which we will look at next week. Um, but I want to just begin to kind of posit some curiosity in us. Right? That's what the story is kind of doing as we end chapter 3. As we wait, we begin to see characters who thought they would always be empty are starting to show signs of being full. Characters that had been unredeemed because of Hesed are now starting to be redeemed. And it's beginning to shape and change who they are internally. So uh, I'm going to read the text for us. Uh, Like I said, so I know that's a lot of info. Um, Now what I want to just ask you guys to do is just use your imaginations, right? Like like really, like as the best as you can, if you need to close your eyes, close your eyes. Like it's a well-lit room. You won't fall asleep. I mean, maybe you will. I don't know. Uh, But like, like really, like use your imagination. Like let the story speak to you. Let Ruth speak to you. And as we read this story, right, as we begin to ask these questions of where is God? Why is he so absent? And we begin to see, wait, maybe he's acting through Ruth and then through Boaz. Like maybe his abundant provision is coming. As we see the frailness that Naomi wrestles with, I want the story to speak to us. Okay, so, so I'm going to read it. Uh, it won't take me very long. Uh, it'll take me about eight minutes. I've already timed it. Uh, so eight minutes of story time for you guys today. Um, but let's read the story of Ruth and then we'll close with worship.